patriotism, faith, national unity, education, fiscal responsibility, civility, the values that define America. Fascinating stories and talks from America-loving patriots dedicated to preserving freedom, opportunity, and justice. Welcome to the Friends and Fellow Citizens Podcast. everyone and welcome to episode 89 of Friends and Fellow Citizens. I'm your host Sherman Tylowski. Thank you all so much for joining me this week. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our podcast, subscribe to our email list if you want to get updates on new episodes and new announcements. I hope the warmer weather coming up will motivate you to make those travel plans or any plans that you're looking forward to in the months ahead. Today's episode is a primarily about one of the pillars of Washington's Farewell Address, fiscal responsibility. But we are not going to be doing it in the form of pure American history or trivia. In fact, we're going to be doing a little bit of math today. Now, you might be thinking, Sherman, this is a podcast. It's not a math class. You've never dealt with numbers. Why should we be dealing with math today? Well, first of all, I completely understand how you're feeling right now. I'm not a math person. Maybe some of you out there are. I took a very, very hard math class in high school, and it was honestly one of the worst academic decisions I've made. With all due respect in the class, it was a great class for those who are more capable with math. I've certainly overestimated myself in that category. The calculus and trigonometry was too much for me, so I'm sticking back to the basics of addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division today. All right, so today's episode, as you can really tell with the title is about one of the biggest figures that might be the least understood. Now, we might want to figure, well, a trillion dollars. In today's title, we're going to be finding what truly is a trillion dollars. Now, you might think, well, trillion. Well, that must one trillion dollars has 12 zeros. And while that's true, I'm going to elaborate a bit more on that, put this a bit more into context. Otherwise, this will be the shortest episode in the history of Friends and Fellow Citizens. What I'm going to do today is I'm going to give a little bit of context about the numbers I'm going to go through, and then we're going to run through some numbers. It's going to be, I promise you, a bit of a tsunami of numbers and figures that we've never done, frankly, on this podcast. As you know, with the COVID pandemic over the last couple of years, I think it's a bit more of an endemic at this point, but the years really going from March 2020 to about a few months ago before the release of this episode, we've really spent a lot of money on COVID-19 related relief. And now I say related because there, there are times when people say, well, we spent a lot of on COVID relief. Well, I've been in the midst of that when it comes to looking at what is in some of these packages and the amount of non-COVID related stuff is pretty astounding. And in this this can't really be explained in words. I think that this has to be explained in some kind of numeric format. That's what I'm going to try to achieve today. With the amount of code relief, I was. it's really hard, believe it or not, to really get down to how much money has been spent during the pandemic. And the, I can just label a few notable packages here. The first one is on March 6, 2020. Uh, that package was for about $8.3 billion. 
Obviously, that did not stop there. Otherwise, we'd be the most fiscally responsible country in the world at this point. (laughs) So how much bigger did we expand our COVID relief? Well, I'll first, I'll put it this way. I'll explain what I did not include in this figure. I did not include the student loan moratorium, including the cost to, I guess, run it because you know that the government is going to want some money to run any kind of program or do anything. The eviction moratorium, including the economic costs, the cost of landlords and whatnot, and PPP loans. So these are just among some of the things that I'm not including in the figures I'm dealing with today. But I was able to add up some kind of ballpark figure, and it ranges about $5.637 trillion. For the sake of simplicity, I'm going to round it up to six. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to first give you some facts and numbers of $1 trillion, just to kind of warm up a little bit. And you can kind of see the comparisons uh, with those same figures with $1 trillion and $6 trillion. I was multiplying all these figures. I'm going to start with by six. Let's look at $1 trillion. The first category or metric, if you like, is I was looking at the stack of bills. And just as a precursor here, number one is I am not, I'm only using $100 bills, the largest, most commonly used currency uh, for the sake of simplicity. Because as you know, we're dealing with very, very big numbers. Unless I do specifically say that we're using dollar bills, every other metric is going to be assuming that we're using $100 bills. So let's imagine that you took $1 trillion in $100 bills and you decided that you wanted to stack them all up. Let's use some of the tallest buildings in the world and see how we can compare a stack of a trillion dollars to tall buildings. The first metric I'm going to be using is the One World Trade Center in New York City which is 1,776 feet tall. It is one of the tallest buildings in the world. If you were to stack $1 trillion, all right, that is going to be about 631 miles tall. 631 miles tall for the stack of $1 trillion bills. What that means is among the 631 miles tall, you can fit 1,880, 1,881 World Trade Centers on top of one another. I mean, that we're already in the first figure. Just imagine how tall of a structure that would be to stack all those $100 bills on top of each other. Now, to give some kind of context here, let's just say that you were to take this stack and you decided to lay it all out, like on a flat surface. Well, you're talking 630, still traveling 631 miles, which means, let's assume, if you were to take the highest speed limit in the United States which is 85 miles per hour in West Texas. I have been to West Texas before. I can tell you that the drive is amazing when we can go that fast. 
So assuming that you go 85 miles per hour, it would take you seven and a half hours to drive the length, or I guess height if you were to go vertically, but in this case, drive the length of one trillion dollars. Remember, each bill's thickness is 0.0043 inches. That, that is astounding. It just goes to show that we're not even getting to some of these larger numbers. We're already seeing how much more money it is. It's not just a big amount. It is a huge, huge, huge big number. But that's not all. Let's just say that you wanted to extend the length. Let's say you wanted to see how long this could stretch. If you were to end end-to-end of $100 bills, 6.14 inches per dollar, say half a foot, right, 6 inches, you're looking at about 950,000 miles. Just to put that in even more context, you can circle the Earth 39 times around the equator if you lay bills end-to-end. If you were to do in New York to LA round trip, maybe something that some of you are thinking about of doing over the summer. A round trip, right? So back and forth. That would take you 174 round trips to fly the length of $1 trillion. Now, if you want to take this a bit further, literally, maybe treat yourself to a first-class flight on Singapore Airlines. You want to go from Newark, New Jersey to Singapore Airport. If you want to do round trips on that flight, which is 18 hours, I believe is the longest commercial flight that you can purchase and ride, it would take you 56 round trips. If you were to add it all up, let's assume that you've started in Newark, you got to Singapore, then right away you turned around and flew back, just kept doing it continuously, it would take you 70 days straight to complete your round trips. Now let's look at income. We love money, right? There are about 332 million Americans. If you were to divide $1 trillion, each American, and that's including the newborn baby that was just born about a second ago, each each person would get $3,012. Assuming that the median household income in the United States is about $70,000 without any spending or taxes, $1 trillion can cover 14.3 million Americans' paychecks. Jeff Bezos, the founder and CEO of Amazon, his net worth up until around this point in time is about $190 billion, which means that all we need is just to replicate or clone Jeff Bezos 5.3 times. Let's make that six so we can get a little bit of extra money there. Now, let's assume that we make more money than Jeff Bezos, and we make $1 million a second. $60 $60 million a minute. That's going to require 278 hours to make a trillion dollars, which would take 12 days, 11.6, 12 days to make $1 trillion. A trillion dollars in GDP would be the 19th largest GDP after the Netherlands, according to the IMF. Now, suppose you were to make a bit of an art 
with $1 trillion, and you were to take a bill, the $100 bills, and you were to lay them all out flat on an area, how much would you be able to cover? Well, an area of a bill is 15.9 square inches. That means if you took $100 bills and you were to lay it all out, you can cover the area of all of Manhattan in New York City. If you were to go even further, you had $1 bills. You can cover the entire states of Delaware and Rhode Island. Ladies and gentlemen, that is just $1 trillion. Let's look at those same sort of figures with $6 trillion. Laying end-to-end, you can circle the equator 228 times. Suppose that you loved doing so many round trips between New York and Los Angeles that you wanted to do it again except six times the action. This would take you 1,056 round trips between New York and Los Angeles. If you loved the Newark to Singapore experience, you can do 336 round trips, which if you add all that would take one year and three months straight of flying between those two cities. Now, maybe you are a bit of an artist and you wanted to lay out like a large collage of dollar bills. How much would it take for $6 trillion? Well, if you took $100 bills with $6 trillion, you can cover all of Manhattan and Queens with $100 bills. If you use $1 bills, you can cover all of Massachusetts and Vermont with $1 bills. Each American would get $18,000, including the newborn that was just born a second ago. And that would be the accumulation of 86 million Americans' paychecks. Elon Musk is the wealthiest person in the world, has the highest net value or net worth. And he's worth, up until this point, about $247 billion. So we only need to clone him 24 times to get our $6 trillion. Obviously, the $6 trillion wouldn't pale as much as our current economy, which is about $23, $24 trillion for GDP, but it would still be the third largest if $6 trillion were the amount of GDP, gross domestic product. If you were to go back to that amazing idea of what could happen if we can earn a million dollars per second, it would take 1,668 hours, which is 70 days of getting a million dollars every second into our wallets and into our bank accounts. I know there was a lot to process, but this is something that I've always been thinking about, which is how do we put $1 trillion into context? Over the past couple of years, and really, it shouldn't just be the last couple of years, it's actually over the last few decades, I believe we've really veered off from fiscal responsibility. Too often, I hear people just saying, Just tell the Bureau of Engraving and Printing and the U.S. Mint to make more currency. I know that some people want that idea to be original, but it's not. Clearly, that hasn't worked. We felt that by printing $6 trillion, by sending a bunch of checks over the course of two years, that things wouldn't be anything different. That we could potentially shut down an economy and be able to print all that money and not have to deal with the consequences. While it's understandable that at the beginning of the pandemic, there was a lot of certainty, I mentioned to you that we were spending just maybe a few billion in the beginning. 
and then how that has ballooned to $6 trillion just goes to show how, how much we veered off from this course of recognizing what we're spending on. Regardless of what people's party affiliations or their thoughts, when someone tells you that they want to spend $1.9 trillion, and I'm speaking about the package, so spending package that was passed in 2021, I believe it was around March or April, I was a congressional intern at the time. I saw $1.9 trillion get passed in Congress. When someone tells you that they're spending on COVID, but they're only spending 10% on things like vaccines, on PPE, or some other things related to COVID, and then the 90%, they're not interested in telling you what that is. That's going to result in an erosion of trust on the Congress's ability and the federal government's ability to manage the economy. So it should be no surprise that we are in this situation where we are seeing record numbers on inflation. My generation and even millennials, I don't think I've ever witnessed anything like this. I think we need, and this is an opportunity for younger people to take lessons and to learn a little bit, at least hear what previous generations have to say about the inflation that was going on in the 1970s and into the early 80s. I believe that all these numbers, you know, as much as it's really blown my mind, and it's probably blown yours too, it really reflects a reality that we have not connected between ourselves, our intentions of having a, having strong finances, and the actual numbers that we are just spewing out through our government policies. And there's really three big points I want to make to wrap up this episode. The first is that the more money we spend and print, the more susceptible we are to fraud. And the reason why is because when you're dealing with a huge amount of money, right? It's kind of like using a freeway as an example. When you have a bunch of cars, right, flowing on or driving on, let's just say the 405 in LA, if you have a manageable number of cars, you can get everyone to go, still go 60, 70 miles per hour, but still keep the traffic flowing. But if you've got, when you've got so many vehicles on that road, you're going to be able to have to control the flow. And it's very, very difficult when you've got so many cars coming in all different directions, you've got bottlenecks everywhere, and you're just going to be susceptible to not just that one traffic jam on that freeway, but to traffic jams spewing onto streets maybe. And I think that's the same thing with, with spending. When you have a larger sum of money and you're redistributing all this money to state governments and to government bureaucracies and to this company for a contract and that company for another contract, there's going to be a lot of leaks, if you like, which are natural when it comes to dealing with a huge pot of money. But when you're spending $6 trillion, imagine how much fraud there is. I just saw a news report saying that with California's EDD, which is the agency that deals with unemployment and the checks and the distribution checks, something like $20 billion in pandemic fraud just in California. And that's all we know about. And so imagine imagine that bureaucracy and those inefficiencies spreading across an entire economy and entire country. That is what we're dealing with here. It's very it's a lot harder on our our law enforcement agencies who have to understandably do a tough job with tracking fraud and holding people accountable. It's very difficult, especially with the virtual environment that we're in right now. 
it puts a strain on the ability for oversight. When Congress is one of the last bodies to know about some kind of fraud, which is very, very common, by the way, House Oversight Committee is the committee, one of the most powerful committees in Congress. There's no way that they're going to be able to have the manpower or the, honestly, the care to look at every single element. And when you've got already have such a big issue with the distribution of money and checks and whatnot, it's only going to increase the pot of money for fraudsters and thieves to be able to take advantage of. It's very, very sad when I see some of these stories about how people's money is being taken. But we have not done a good job, I think, overall on understanding that a bigger pot of money, we're going to get a lot more fraud. And that's really, really unfortunate. The second is that when we impose on excessive debt, we're not just imposing on ourselves, we're imposing on future generations. We have to be able to tell our child, say, by the way, I I wholeheartedly stand by the amount of money that we printed. I'm not saying that that's the view of everyone. Clearly, like myself included, I don't think we should have been spending that much. That is my opinion. But I think the reason why is because we have not thought enough about the repercussions of some of excessive debt. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that we we have to have zero debt. I mean, this is certainly not going to be feasible in the near future. But to have debt this out of control is not acceptable. Let's look at an example with Alexander Hamilton, who was the first secretary of the Treasury. When we started our country, we certainly had a lot of debt. In fact, the states had the debt. And it was his idea for the national government to be able to take on those debts. Now, here's what he said about having a controllable debt. He said, quote, should be remolded into such a shape as will bring the expenditure of the nation to a level with its income. Till this shall be accomplished, the finances of the United States will never wear proper countenance. He was especially concerned that with regards to the interest payments, that people are just not going to be able to pay it off. And when you have a amounting just the uncontrollable amount of debt, you're going to get a, a huge, huge bad influence on public credit. And he said this in 1790, you know, just when a lot of things were still trying to get figured out when it comes to running a country. Now I'm at fast forward 230 plus years later, we still don't understand this concept, largely speaking, about how we can bring us to some kind of sustainable amount of debt. I hope that we, in the future, we we get to realize these numbers. And when it shocks people, I remember telling someone about these numbers to, I believe he was a tenant of ours. Uh, I never met him before. We just had a wonderful conversation. I told him about these numbers. He couldn't believe it. He was like, are you serious? I, I didn't even know that we were spending this much. And I wasn't even telling him about the round trips between New York and LA, you know, Newark to Singapore. So when we when we shock people a bit about how big these numbers are, maybe we can get to a point where it's not about not spending anything or just saying that, okay, we're not going to spend out because you have to run government. You have to run a country. But it, hopefully it makes people think twice a little bit about why they support a particular tax increase or a particular spending package. Sure, it might be bipartisan. But that's not a simple reason. That's not a good enough reason to increase the, the debt. In fact, a lot of these spending packages were bipartisan. So how do we get past the, the, just the fact that it's bipartisan? Just because it's bipartisan, I mean, you can have a bad bill and be bipartisan. That's possible. 
How do we get to a point where people can realize that they don't want to spend this much and that the cost is not going to be on, they may not be on them, but, but everyone says that they want to have better prosperity for their kids and their grandkids. I completely understand that. I feel the same way. But at the same time, we have to be honest with our kids and grandkids and tell them whether or not we supported this idea of printing $6 trillion. And lastly, government loves to earn money, but is terrible at spending. I do know for a fact that there are people who are are genuinely concerned about our fiscal standing, and those voices should be heard too as we debate on spending and on other fiscal measures. One thing, though, is clear is that we need to think with this all this spending. Remember, we are electing these people. We are electing representatives, and maybe we should rethink about how we speak about fiscal issues. This brings all the way back to the purpose of the podcast episodes, which is to start a conversation, not to end it forever. By starting these conversations about how much we are genuinely spending – in our in Washington D.C. or in our state capital or wherever, we can have a bit more of a realization on why we are experiencing inflation. When I see that people can't make ends meet, when I see that people are literally doing the same exact thing, they're having the same exact lifestyle, but are not able to purchase the same items at a grocery store, that should make people wonder what kind of fiscal position we are in and where we want to be in. I hope that this is helpful. Be sure to share this episode with people who are interested in some weird facts. I know it was a bit of a, again, what's I said, tsunami of facts and figures, but that is truly a trillion dollars. I wish that I invented the trillion and I wouldn't have to make up all these numbers, but I, I hope that this was helpful for you in understanding how much a trillion dollars is. Hope you had a bit of fun on learning some trivia about this large number. And hopefully that you'll be able to bring these numbers in, the, in maybe a future town hall meeting or in a future conversation with someone so that we can have a more robust debate and honest conversation about how, why, and what we are spending on our taxpayer dollars. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure to subscribe once again to our show if you haven't already. Have a great rest of your day and rest of your week. And remember, a day in America is always better when we are with our friends and fellow citizens.